Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to It's Complicated with me, Tanya Goodin. The podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and understanding why sometimes that's so hard to do. I'm your host, Tanya Goodin, author and founder of Digital Wellbeing Movement, Time to Log Off. Each week, I'll be asking a new guest how they can help us with the relationship with the tiny tyrant in our pocket, our smartphone. I've been really looking forward to getting this week's guest on the podcast as I just knew she was going to be a huge help to everyone listening. Michelle Elman is a five-board accredited life coach, broadcaster and author, most known for her social media campaign, Scarred Not Scared. Last year, Michelle was named as one of the Sun's 50 most inspirational women in the UK. Her debut book, Am I Ugly, received rave reviews and her second book, The Joy of Being Selfish, topped the Amazon charts when it was released earlier this year. Michelle has been called the queen of boundaries and we chatted about exactly that, how we can all build better boundaries online. She's given us some brilliant tips on things like dealing with ghosting, managing the 24-7 email culture, sending clearer texts, but most importantly, how and why to say no. Welcome, welcome to It's Complicated. Thanks for having me on. I've got to start by just telling you how utterly brilliant your book is. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I, I literally read it in one sitting. Oh, you know what? That's the biggest compliment. Like one of the biggest things when I'm writing is focusing on it being like an easy reader. And I think so often easy readers are diminished in the publishing industry for being like bad writing. But actually, I think it takes a lot of work to make it easy to read and digestible and comprehensible. Because I think the worst feeling is reading a self-help book and you not being able to understand what they're saying to get the message. It's so readable and I I just couldn't put it down. I thought it was just brilliant. And I was so keen to get you on the podcast because all the talks I do about our relationship with tech, it suddenly struck me that one of the main messages I give to people is, look, the issue around managing tech is is all about boundaries. It's all about setting healthy boundaries. And I suddenly realised actually I don't know very much about boundaries and you are the queen of boundaries as you've been dubbed. So 
I thought you're the perfect person to get on to kind of talk a bit about, I suppose, first of all, the bigger picture of what boundaries are, um, why we need them and why we might not, why we might need some help learning how to set them. I think you're not the only person who's felt that around boundaries. I think the main thing with the word boundaries is we've heard it so much, but there's so little education around it. There's so little a conversation around how to actually set them, how to communicate them, what they actually are. It's why I was so passionate writing the book. So how I would define boundaries is they are how we teach other people to treat us. It's the line between who we are and who the world wants us to be. And especially when it comes to online, I mean, the irony is a title that I guess you could use for me is influencer. And I think influencers are either the people with the best uh, online boundaries or the worst, because if you want to have your mental health intact, it's actually compulsory part of the job to have good online boundaries. And if you don't learn that, and it took me about eight years because I've been doing the online thing for eight years, and it took many moments of me feeling like either I was sharing too much online, sometimes I was just on my phone too much, all of these things, had a detrimental effect on me. And I don't think I actually realized it until I started taking digital detoxes every Mm. Christmas. So I would do it for about three to four weeks every Christmas. And I would notice the difference in how I could focus my attention and my general happiness, to be honest. But I think, especially now that influencers are becoming younger and younger and there are teenagers who their full-time job is being an influencer, we need to be having this conversation of specifically online boundaries because otherwise we are basically beholden to our phones. Why are boundaries not kind of automatic? Why don't we just know how to set them? You said they're about treating people how to treat us. Isn't that something we just kind of learn as we grow up? Well, actually, I think the people who have the best boundaries are kids. If you take someone's toy, which is a material boundary, and they're two years old, they'll just scream no at you. And no is the simplest (laughs) boundary you can have. That's wonderful boundaries. How it gets unlearnt is, so let's say the child screams no, a parent will come and go, don't be rude, share your toy. But it's their toy, they were playing with it first. But we teach them it's rude to do these things. Or for example, the example I have in my book is when I went to a family friend's house, he had made a berry tart. First of all, I was full, but second of all, I don't like fruit. And I would have happily said, I don't like fruit. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the effort, but it's not my kind of thing. But I was told I was being rude by not eating it. So I had to sit there, swallow my own needs and push down how I felt about the pie and eat the pie to not be rude for others. And it's such a small moment, but what it's inherently saying or the implicit message in it is my needs are less important than your needs and how I look is more important than how I feel right now. When you talk about setting boundaries online and with tech, if boundaries are around teaching people how to treat us, how do we teach tech how to treat us? Or is it not really about the tech? Is it about the people on the other end of the tech? How does that work? It's the line between who the world wants us to be. And I think that is a huge thing that happens online, but I also think it's mainly about how people treat us. So the difference with internet communication, whether it be DMs or comments, is you're not actually consenting to the interaction. So if you even think about a text, 
for you to get a text on your phone, you've given someone your number. Therefore, that's a version of consent. Mm. You have allowed that person into a certain amount of access that the whole world doesn't have. If you have a public profile online, that's automatic access. Someone, anyone in the world can send me a DM. I have not consented to having that conversation. I would say it's the equivalent of like being at a party. You choose who you invite to the party, but online, everyone's coming to the party. So you have to decide who you close the door to and who you let in. So within the book, I'm very big on communicating that like you shouldn't just ignore someone. But when it comes to online communication, I mean, I have too many followers anyway that I couldn't reply to every DM. But also, it's actually not safe for me to reply to a number of DMs because I'm a life coach. The number of DMs that are emotional dumps Mm. would be unsafe for both me and them for me to even engage in the conversation, to start the conversation. It's actually really clear the way you've explained that, actually, that I've never really thought about before. You know, the difference between giving out your number and people approaching you. I suppose another analogy is... You tell people where you live and then total strangers turn up and start knocking on your door. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We've all kind of learned, haven't we, that social media or we've all been trained by the social media companies that that's the benefit of social media, that all these total strangers can contact us. So it seems to be a bit of a conflict managing that and healthy boundaries, just the whole concept of social media, I guess. Well, I think uh, access in general, and it's not just social media, it's emails as well. Because Mm. if, even when I was growing up, if my dad left the office, he wouldn't be able to be contacted. Then it got to a point where we had these phones where emails were going to come on. And I, I don't know, I think I was about 13 when you could get emails on your phone. And suddenly your nine to five turns into being able to be contacted every 24 hours. And then what was made worse by that is the pandemic. Because if people had, if the only filter they had and the only boundary they had to stop working is I'm busy doing something else, then within the pandemic, there was no reason to stop working because no one was doing anything. So we need to actually have those boundaries in in place of even if it's something as simple as I'm watching Grey's Anatomy right now, I'm sitting on my sofa doing nothing and that's a valid reason I don't want to go to your party. That's a valid reason I don't want to reply to my emails or work on the weekend or work till midnight. If you don't have time boundaries around when you're on and off the clock, then you are allowing your boss, your colleagues to have access to you 24-7. And essentially, I've started viewing my phone as a device where everyone asks me for what they need. So a lot of the time, I actually have to put my phone on airplane mode to be able to address what I need. And there was actually something I started doing at the beginning of the year where I didn't turn my phone on until 11 o'clock every day because the first two hours of the day are the hours where I have the most energy. And I just found if I was getting to my desk at nine o'clock, turning my phone on, and because I do turn it off every night, which again is another boundary that I think everybody should have, and turning it on at nine o'clock, then I was starting my day meeting everyone else's needs, whether it's a reply to an email or a reply to a text, or they need to be sent, they want me to send some data along so that they can get on with their job. But I wasn't actually getting on with mine, and a big part of my job is writing, and I was essentially using my good brain juice on stuff that everyone else needed, when actually, if I just gave myself two hours at the start of the day, I could address the majority of what I need to do. If you don't control other people's access to you at the moment with our phones being attached to us then everyone has access to you 24 7 and so I do think there is an increased need for boundaries than there was before 
So how do people start the process? Because you're, you're absolutely right. It's the 24-7 access that's the problem. And, and I completely agree that we, we didn't have any excuses, did we? we? We got used to, as a kind of nation, I think coming up with excuses, reasons why we couldn't do things, and suddenly we had no excuses. So I think that kind of busted how bad we all are at boundaries. So how, how do we start? The first way you do it with online boundaries is I think you need to actually turn your phone off. I turn my phone off every night. As I said, I turn my phone off for the first two hours of every day. I also have whole weekends where I turn my phone off. And when I suggest this to people, a lot of people are like, well, no, I can't do that. My kid might have to contact me. If you have a child that is young enough, and they, sometimes they say about like 30-year-old children, <laughs> 30-year-old child can survive yeah. without you. They can call someone else if it's like a two-year-old child then even having another device a brick phone that they have the number for emergencies to contact you on there but or take off your data so that you only get phone calls if it's urgent anything like that which limits access will help you and will be the place to start and I also think when I talk about this a lot of people go well that would make me so anxious like what if I'm missing something and I think that's part of the problem is we think being contactable 24-7 is normal essentially what you do is you feel the negative what ifs in your brain when you go well what if someone's died and they need to call me or what if someone needs an ambulance or what if i've, I've had someone say well my grandma's really ill what if something happens to be honest there's very little you can do in the moment to help someone and if you find out later that someone's died and i know that's a very extreme example but that is often what i hear from people when i tell them to turn their phone off that that's the worst thing going on in their brain and if you if someone has actually died and you find out two hours later, it's still going to hurt just as much. And so I think turn your phone off allows you to give yourself peace of mind, but also challenge that anxiety that we shouldn't be living with anyway. So do you communicate with people that that's what you do? I'm really intrigued, actually, by the difference between boundaries and walls, which you talk about. And I think if I turn my phone off, is that not a wall? How is it a boundary and not a wall? What's the difference? No, because I don't believe in justifying how I spend my time. So if you, it, it takes three hours for you to get a reply to an email, it takes three hours for you to get a reply to an email. Like, you don't deserve instant communication. There's something I say in the book, which is if someone's calling, doesn't mean you have to pick up the phone. That's someone asking you for something and you're allowed to say no. So that's an interaction that isn't a, a wall, that's a boundary. A, a wall would be me ignoring you so me seeing the text and you sending maybe a follow-up text and me refusing to answer uh, rather than just saying I'm not interested or you inviting me to a party and me being so uncomfortable saying no that I just avoid your your invitation and a lot of that is about intention like you know what which one you're doing you know whether you actually just need alone time or you're avoiding it because you're so scared of saying no or the equivalent in dating would be ghosting someone rather than just declining them down that's a wall tell me about ghosting because that's something everyone talks about a lot now most people who've been online dating have encountered it yeah and it's making a decision out of fear so you're playing a worst case narrative in your head of they're going to get abusive or that you don't want to hurt their feelings and you're making up this entire story when actually the kind of thing to do is communicate that and I believe the reason why ghosting has increased I think it was happening before it just was happening in different ways because realistically if you went on a date before technology existed you would actually find it 
hard to contact someone apart from calling their home phone or turning up at their house. You could just disappear quite easily. Technology means you can't disappear easily. And if you are disappearing or ghosting, you're doing it intentionally so. But I think there is a thing with technology where it has allowed us to avoid having the hard conversations. Mm. A lot of the conversations which we needed, we previously would have had to have in person, we are now able to avoid because we can hide behind text messages instead of phone calls. And we can use phone calls instead of in person. And so we've actually lost the practice of having that difficult conversation and sitting in the discomfort of, yes, this is going to be a tough conversation saying I'm not interested in dating you anymore, or this is gonna be a tough conversation that I need to have with my boss that he needs to stop sending me emails at midnight. But instead, we just run away from it. And that's essentially fear. That's really interesting, isn't it? That we've all lost the kind of muscle (laughs) that tells us that you can have a difficult conversation and it's not going to be a disaster. Absolutely. And I think this is why it's important when I teach boundaries, I also teach communication because I don't think you can have one without the other. And a lot of the time when you are teaching one without the other, this is how boundaries become walls because it's essentially like a piss off kind of mentality sorry I don't know if I'm allowed to yeah go ahead (laughs) well then in that case it's basically to me a wall is very equivalent to a fuck off like as opposed to I don't like the way you're treating me please stop treating me like that that's the difference between a wall and a boundary in a very simple explanation so if you're on the other side of something like ghosting how do you deal with that in a way that's about your own healthy boundaries I personally will not send a second text. I think a lot of the time you are seeking an answer to something that you won't get a second answer to. And how I do it personally is I see it as that is a behavior that I don't want in a person that I date. So actually when I'm ghosted, I lose automatic interest in you. That's such a big turnoff to me because it's cowardly. It's basically deciding to avoid a situation rather than address it. And if you actually look at that in terms of if you wanted to be in a relationship with someone like that, that's the first basic hurdle. So how are they going to be further down the line when you face serious things in life, whether it be grief or whether it be illness, and they're just gonna run away from a situation? Like, no thanks, you've just shown me exactly who you are and that you're not a person I want to date anyway. So yes, you might have rejected me via ghosting, but don't worry, it's mutual. (laughs) One of the things you wrote in your book, there were lots of things that in your book that I kind of cheered out loud when I read, but one of them in particular was, you said someone being on the phone in front of me is one of my boundaries and I don't tolerate it. I could not agree more, but it's a problem loads of people have. So how do you deal with it and how do you communicate in a healthy way look it's not okay for you to be scrolling picking your phone up I would just say like if someone's if we're having lunch and someone's on their phone I would just say um, I would actually stop eating and I would say to them like oh we'll continue the lunch once you're once you're done with your phone like and I won't I won't continue talking while they're on the phone either because I would be like you're not listening to what I'm saying. People say they can multitask. A lot of people can't multitask as well as they think they can. And so I will say like, please, can you get off your phone? We're trying to have lunch right now. And I will say, if this continues, I will eventually say, hey, I'm not gonna keep going for lunch with you if you're gonna spend the entire time on your phone. I find it disrespectful. And I I know a lot of times when I give examples of how I say things, a lot of people are like, you're very blunt. At first, it's an adjustment period for the people in your life. But actually, so many people since have told me that 
it makes it simpler because you never have to question if I'm angry with you because you will know when I'm angry with you. I just tell it straight to your face. And we have been conditioned in society to see that as the ruder alternative when actually it's the more polite thing to just talk directly. And I think especially women have been trained to talk in such an indirect way. So we storm off instead of actually saying, you've upset me, or we ignore someone to punish them using the silent treatment, rather than just saying, I need 10 minutes because I'm really angry right now and we wouldn't have a productive conversation. And so this direct version might be different. And I think a lot of the time when I use these examples, people feel uncomfortable. I'm like, your discomfort is because you're not used to it. It's because it's unfamiliar. It's not because it's rude or wrong. And actually you're right. And when I'm thinking back to my own kind of friends and encounters, it is a lot easier dealing with people who are very clear. Talking about friends, you have kind of touched on friendships and the digital world and social media in your book, which I thought was really interesting because I think there's a lot of complication, isn't there? And you you put that quote in your book, stop texting first and see how many dead plants you're watering. Is the sort of stop texting first and see whether they care or see whether they know? Is that not a good boundary? No, because it's testing someone rather than communicating the fact that you are upset or they're not making enough effort. If you feel like your friend is not making enough effort, to send them a text saying, hey, I really miss you. I feel like the effort that we make in our friendship isn't equal and I feel like I'm always the one initiating Actually, I wouldn't use the word always because that's a generalisation. I would say, I feel like I'm initiating a lot and I would really appreciate if you initiate more. 
and make plans more. It's really good to be specific about what change you actually want. So whether it's, it would be really great if you could call me more or it would be really great if you could make the plan next time. So you don't just say you don't like it, you actually come up with something solid yeah, and practical. Well, it's about your needs, right? So it, what do you need more of? The whole idea of stop texting and then see if they notice, you're not actually giving them a handbook on how to help you. When you set a boundary, you're going, this is my problem, this is what I want more of, and you've literally told them exactly what you need and how they can help you. So whether it's, hey, I, I, I really appreciate, I really value you as a friend, and I really want us to invest in our friendship more, it would be great if we could spend more time in person. Or next time we go for lunch, it would be great if you chose the restaurant. When you tell someone that and then they don't do it, that is a better test of a friendship, for lack of a better word, than just ignoring them and seeing if they initiate a conversation. Because when someone did this to me, someone did this to me in the second lockdown, and I was really struggling in the lockdowns because I did them all alone. I mean, the first one, I, I literally didn't see a single friend for five months. Oh, um, wow. And they didn't have the bubble system in place. Yeah. And so the second lockdown, I was really struggling. The one in November, that was a month long. And... One of my friends did this test to me. And if he had actually just sent me a text saying, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while, I would have actually just responded saying, hey, it's not personal. No one else has heard from me either. It's the fact that I'm really struggling to keep my head above water. The fact that I've been so alone for so long is really impacting me. I love you just as much. And as soon as I've got my feet back on the ground, I will get back in touch. But it's not personal. And I could actually explain that. It's about giving the people who, if someone's your friend, give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them a chance, an opportunity to explain. When you just disappear, you have no clue why that person has yeah. gone silent. And you've not given them a chance to explain. And it's why it really annoys me. Because it's even something like, I was not, I mean, I'm not perfect either. I might be called the queen of boundaries, but everyone has has their own adjustment period to boundaries and I remember one time I forgot my best friend had started a job and when I eventually called her I think it was like two weeks later we were talking and I was like oh how are you she started telling me about her job what she could have done is she could have tested me she could have seen she could have waited to see whether I mentioned her new job or not if she had done that I would have failed that test and it would have been very easy to label me as a bad friend, but that would have ripped out of context our 10-year friendship and all the times I did remember. And it would have been associating a meaning with something that doesn't actually mean that. So she would have been associating the fact that I didn't remember that she started a new job to mean that I don't care about her, I don't mm. love her, she's not important to me. When actually what it meant was I was too busy in my own life, I had too many responsibilities in that moment to remember her life, and that's all it was. It was nothing about her, it was everything about me and what I was going through. But we assume these things, and when you make these assumptions, a lot of the time you are looking at your friend, the person you love, and assuming the worst. And that's essentially what testing your friend is. It could be something as simple as your friend had someone pass away. It could be something as they're revising for exams. When we grow up, when we become adults, we have to accept people have huge responsibilities in their life and you aren't going to always be the centre of someone's universe, even if you're their best friend or their boyfriend or their partner or whatever it is. Yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it, with social media is it does encourage us to think we're kind of the stars of our own world so if you're noticing people aren't commenting or engaging you know I can see how easy it is for people to make it about them 
instead of thinking yeah. actually what's going on in my friend's life that she hasn't you know engaged or I also think the story you tell yourself when your friend isn't liking your posts is they're seeing it and actively ignoring it. Number one, you mm. don't know that they're actually seeing it because all these algorithms are changing. But even that person might not be going on uh, online a lot. But you're also ignoring every other way they support you. And I think social media has a very superficial aspect to it because it's like that's actually a very easy way to support someone. Just writing yay under a a comment section. It's no effort. The friends who actually give you a call and want to know about your life and don't just assume from your social media, that's a lot more effort. Yet you're going to harp on about the lack of likes on your post. Is that really about the friendship or is that about how you look to other people online? Yeah. And actually, like, my boyfriend doesn't even have social media, which is an ironic thing yeah. for an influencer. <laughs> and so he doesn't know about a lot of things I do within work and therefore I have to tell him. And I think that's actually a great thing is that every time something happens to me, I actually have to be like, by the way, this incredible thing happened because he's not just seeing it online. I have to say something I really love about your book, Michelle, are your texting templates where you give a really kind of clear template on how to respond. I suppose I've got two questions about, I'd love everyone to go and buy your book and have a look at them because I think they're really neat actually. But I've got two things that I want to ask you, which is one, is texting a good way of setting boundaries or is it better, worse, you know, neutral to kind of pick up the phone and talk to someone or, or actually have them in front of us? And the second one is, and this is probably a lot more about me, that when I read your text, I did think, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could write those because, yeah, they do seem very direct and very clear. So despite everything I've just said to you about how great it is to deal with somebody that's clear, <laughs> thinking about it being you yourself writing that and saying, you know, this is something I'm not happy with and this is how I want it to change. Gosh, it, yeah, it felt really hard when I looked at it. So I think the reason why I use text templates is because there's no way for me to put, like, phone call in but I actually think texting is neutral a lot of the time we see texting as a inferior version of communication and in some ways it is because we lose a lot of the aspects of communication whether it's the tone of voice or whether it's the body language and all of the things that we have in real life the benefits though that you get from text messages is that when you set a boundary if someone isn't used to having boundaries set with them they can feel like it's an attack And so if they get a text as opposed to an unexpected phone call, then they actually have time to process it and choose their response. And so that's why I think there's a benefit to it. I didn't include text templates, though, to say that text is the preferable thing. And I think if someone sends you a text setting a boundary or having a tough conversation and you feel like the texting is actually getting in the way, then it's very easy to say, hey, can we actually have a call about this? And the other person can say, I'm not free right now, but I can call you this evening. I've done it a few times with my boyfriend. Like we've had a conversation, we're texting and it's turned into a bigger conversation than I intended. And I'll just go, you know what? Like, let's talk about this at the weekend because the texting wasn't helping. Depends on the situation, depends on the context. The text templates is more so because I found when I was setting boundaries, I really struggled with the language of it. So it was actually around dating that I said to my my own life coach, I don't know how to actually end this. I actually don't have the language for it. Like English is my first language, but I still, I don't have a language in boundaries. And so she actually had to write that text for me on what to say. And that was a moment I was like, you know what, I think this is actually a huge hurdle in people setting boundaries. And so 
I totally agree with you. Some of the texts in the in the book are very blunt. A lot of them are actually all of them are real life texts, and a lot of them are in my early journey of boundaries but the reason why I included them is because I didn't want to include perfect boundaries I wanted to include the texts that I actually use through my journey as I learned them and I think what why I include them and I say this in the book as well isn't that I want you to use the exact same language I even say in the book I'm a very blunt person and so they might not be to your taste but it's to give you an example of the kind of language you can use. So for example, I remember a moment with my life coach where I was talking about a situation and she said, well, why didn't you turn to the person and say, don't speak to me like that? And I went, you can't say that to someone. She was like, yes, you can. And it never occurred to me to say that sentence until it was given to me. And so those text templates are really born out of that. It gives you an option. And even if you take away a whole sentence and you soften three of the sentences, at least you have a starting point. Yeah, no, and I think they're definitely really useful for that. There were definitely a couple where I thought that phrase, I could imagine myself using that. I, I wonder if one of the differences is, I do a lot of work in, in companies where I talk about the difference between American and British kind of approach to emails. The British, we're kind of taught, I think, to apologise before we want something and then apologise halfway through and then apologise at the end. Or say thank you so many times, whereas Americans seem to have a much clearer way of communicating. I also think apology shouldn't be in any boundary setting. And I think that is also a thing that I incorporated in my life since setting boundaries is stop apologising. Your apologies should be intentional. And I stopped using that reflex of saying sorry all the time. And actually, I think one of the moments I noticed that I was doing it too much is when someone bumped into me and I said sorry. Oh, yeah. And I was Classic. like, it's such <laughs> it's such a reflex that we need to stop doing it because what you're actually doing is you're impacting your self-esteem. You're essentially telling yourself you're always in the wrong by apologizing for things that you're not even doing. And so I, I've become very intentional about my sorry. You won't hear it just coming out of my mouth for nothing. And even something like, it's what I mentioned earlier about I don't justify my time. I won't go, sorry for a late reply because I took three hours to reply to an email. Frankly, I think it's really weird. We've normalized replying to emails instantly or replying to texts mm. instantly. And I think that is part of the problem in our culture is everyone wants an urgent, instant reply. I tweeted something the other day about how we're all using the word urgent too loosely and we're using the word time sensitive too loosely. When we were first allowed to travel last year, I went away for a week. And as I said, I'd really been struggling in the lockdowns alone. And so I went away with a friend and I decided I was going to turn my phone off for a week. And right before I left, I have agents who are um, the people I work closely with, probably the closest to colleagues that I have. And so I did let them know, by the way, my phone will be off for the whole week. Um, I didn't let everyone I work with know, just the inner circle. And if you need anything, you're, I'll get back to you as soon as I come back. And one of my agents came back and said, okay, but what if something urgent happens? And I just responded with, there's nothing urgent in publishing and social media, you'll survive. <laughs> because this idea of like urgent, unless you're a brain surgeon, there's not much that's urgent. And you can wait a week for a reply. And I just think we need to lose this overuse of the word urgent or time sensitive and just because it's important to you or you want a response in that moment because it's convenient to you doesn't mean I have to drop everything to give you that. Yeah and I'm definitely as I'm listening to you I'm thinking I'm making a mental note because I'm thinking about the last three emails I sent I'm pretty sure they all began with I'm sorry 
It's taken me such a, a long time yeah. to reply. And it was literally 24 hours or 48 hours. So, okay, that's what I'm going to take away from this, Michelle, with my texting and written communication. Have you got three top tips for everybody listening on how you think we can all be better at setting boundaries online? So I think the first thing is use the word no and use it liberally. It's the first boundary you ever learn and it's the boundary that we have lost and frankly the word yes loses its power when you can't use the word no and so whether it's actually saying no if someone's cutting your hair and they ask you whether you're happy with a haircut (laughs) or saying no when like the waiter comes over and asks if you're happy with your food start with strangers that could be your first place to start but start using the word no when you actually mean no so that when you say yes you actually mean yes and a lot of my friends have actually said that if I turn up to a party now they know I actually want to be there not because I feel guilty or because I feel a to turn up the second thing I would say is choose the hours you want to be on your phone if you aren't using airplane mode then you are not using your phone correctly I mean I think it's awful that iPhone have normalized not turning your phone off because prior to iPhones we actually did turn it off off but at least use airplane mode or turn it off completely but that should be happening at least once a day it should be happening when you go to sleep it affects your sleep if you're not turning your phone off and if you're feeling that anxiety or fear by having your phone off that's a reason you need to be doing it more and the third thing i would say is decide who has access to you so whether that's who you're following on social media who you reply to in your dms actually go through and have a cull of who's following you because what i realize is a number of people who i have on my private instagram that has like uni friends school friends i realized i had like a thousand people on there and i was like half these people I wouldn't even trust with my phone number, yet they're getting so much more information on my private social media. A lot of the things are like book deals I haven't announced on my public page and things like that. And I was like, I need to actually go through. And if someone, I wouldn't, and this is my own boundary, you don't have to copy this boundary specifically, but you do need to evaluate it for yourself. But my boundary was, if I wouldn't trust you with my phone number, then I'm not trusting you with my social media pages. So I deleted a lot of people, both off my private Instagram and my private Facebook, because I was like, We need to realize how much information access we're providing by giving someone a key to our social media, especially when it's a private account. Gosh, those are such good tips. Really good tips. I'm going to go away and look at, particularly look at culling people who've got access to accounts. I finish up by asking two final questions, Michelle, which are about your own relationship with tech. So I wonder if you could tell me if you've got three words to sum up your own relationship with tech and the digital world and social media. Complicated, difficult and creative, actually. Ah. I think my the biggest platform I have is Instagram. And the reason why I was drawn to Instagram is I loved the captions. Like inherently within me, I'm a writer and I loved writing like 300 word captions and that's what drew me to the platform that's what drew me to a career I guess in in technology and doing what I do now Instagram was the place where I wrote before I had any book deals someone asked me yesterday would you delete social media if it wasn't your job and I think I I said if I got to the point now without social media being involved in my job in any way I would have deleted it by now the only thing I would miss is having an outlet for my writing every day. Mm. Yeah, I love the fact you've chosen Complicated, which is, of course, the title of the podcast. So that's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, of course, yes. (laughs) It is complicated. Spot on, it certainly is. And what do you think you've learnt 
about yourself from your relationship with your smartphone? I think I've learned I have more discipline than I realised. I always was a person who thought I had like an addictive personality and I definitely do and I definitely think I have aspects of it that drew me to social media for that reason. But the fact that I turn my phone off and majority of the world don't and the fact that I can go a whole week without it, a whole weekend, has made me realise that actually my discipline's not as bad as I give myself credit for. But also I have realized why the phone negatively impacts me maybe more so than other people is because I'm really appreciative of life and I really like living in the moment and it's why when I turn my phone off I actually increase my happiness so much is because I'm able to go back to that and that's the way I actually naturally want to be is being in the moment and I think sometimes we're so obsessed with documenting the moment um, or capturing the moment that we aren't actually feeling how we're feeling in that moment. I'll tell you what's really interesting. Your, your answer, I can't think, proves how good you are at boundaries because I think you're the first person in seven series that's found something good that has said, my relationship with my smartphone has shown me something good about myself. So I think that's fascinating. That's so interesting. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> really. Well, it, I do think it's... You know, everyone used to just like negatively talk about social media and I think it's a balance of both. And I also think when it comes to technology and when it comes to social media, it's just indicative of the society we live in. Mm. And so we can't diminish social media without looking at the wider picture. And frankly, whatever's on social media, it'll be present in the media as well. It'll be present in everyday conversations. If there's judging or criticism or bitching that's online, it happens in real life too. It's just more visible in social media. And so we need to fix the broader problems in the world. And I believe those will trickle down to social media. And it's a reflection of us, I think. Our relationship with our smartphone is a reflection with how easy we find it to deal with that. So you, you know being really focused on setting boundaries means you found the way of dealing with it which is fantastic which is exactly why I wanted to get you on the podcast it's been so lovely um so how can people find out more about you Michelle and about your work so I'm on Instagram TikTok Facebook all the things at scarred not scared and my website is www.michelleelman.com my two books are am I ugly and the joy of being selfish and I have a podcast called In All Honesty. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I have absolutely loved chatting to you. It's been so lovely chatting. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps new people find us and it means you get a helpful notification whenever a new episode drops. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And my latest book, My Brain Has Too Many Tabs Open, is available at Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.